Hello, Spirit Ninja listeners. Welcome to the Spirit Ninjas Spiritual AF Podcast. We are excited because in today's episode, we have Dennis Simsek from the Anxiety Guy podcast. And now Dennis's podcast is in the top five health podcasts in iTunes and for a great reason because he's actually helped thousands of people overcome anxiety. He's also a CBT and NLP master practitioner. And this is something that's uh, near and dear to my heart because I suffered through anxiety for so many years of my life. And I mean, if you've ever dealt with it, you know how unpleasant it can be. It's terrible. And Dennis has a great systematic approach to treating it permanently and without drugs. So stay tuned for Dennis Simsek, everybody. Yeah. Hey, you just turned into the Spirit Ninja's Spiritual as Podcast. The show that aims to inspire, uplift, and questions everything. And now your hosts, Bart Rigel and Holly Emerson. All right, guys, welcome to another episode of the Spirit Ninjas podcast. And today we're super excited because we have Dennis, Dennis Simsek with us. He is known as the Anxiety Guy online. He's also got an amazing Anxiety Guy podcast. And so we just wanted to talk to Dennis. Hello, Dennis. Welcome. Hi, how are you guys? It's a pleasure and it's an honor to be on your podcast, guys. Oh, no, the honor's all ours. Thank you so much. (laughs) Yes, I wanted to reach out to Dennis uh, a while ago because, you know, my whole journey started so much uh, through anxiety as well. You know, I for me, I I find that my anxiety was uh, a catalyst in really changing and shaping my direction as I kind of progressed and, and I grew up. You know, in high school, I dealt with anxiety. Uh, like it was really debilitating, like to the point where I didn't want to get out of bed. You know, there was times when um, uh, I would have even like, well, I was prescribed um, antidepressants and so on. But it, it's not just me, you know, talking to our audience, anxiety is something that is so, so prevalent. And Unfortunately, uh, you know, there, there isn't a lot of really healthy ways of uh, getting through it. Uh, and I'm sure, Dennis, like you talk to people all the time, right? So mm-hmm. what, what is your journey definitely, definitely. to anxiety? Uh, my journey? Oh, boy. Um, <laughs> it's, a, it's a long one. <laughs> it, uh, you know... It started between the ages of zero and 10, which is basically where a lot of people who are suffering from JD uh, begin their anxiety journey. Um, between the ages of zero and 10, there was a lot of pressure from different authority figures in my life. So people such as my dad, such as my teachers, and I was supposed to be this next tennis professional, this prodigy, and therefore I didn't really have much of a childhood. So they always told me things such as, you know, you can't be happy, you can't feel fulfilled until you become this type of person, until you gain this kind of self-image. So I, you know, between the ages of zero and 10, um, I was going about my childhood thinking that I always have to shoot for something constantly in order for me to feel love from other people, in order for me to gain that acceptance from other people. And, you know, with that kind of a a pressure on a kid who, you know, didn't really know whether he was passionate about the sport of tennis or any other thing like that um, or not. And, And a part of him being pulled one way and a part of him being pulled towards just regular childhood, being a child. 
um, you know, I was very, very like, like many people, most everybody in the world, very neuroplastic. So I was like a sponge. Any information that came in, I absorbed it, I took it in, and that became my belief systems. And, you know, that transferred over into my teens. Next thing you know, I was, I, it, it kind of traveled over to social anxiety, um, GAD, social anxiety. Then it started to travel towards hypochondria and health anxiety. So, You'll find that a lot of people with anxiety tend to connect disorder to disorder or challenge to challenge. And a lot of them will go through panic attacks and generalized anxiety and health anxiety and, and agoraphobia and all these other things based around the upbringing and how, how they were brought up as a child and how those beliefs started to become fueled as they went about their lives. But for me, more, more than anything, um, it taught me a really, really good lesson. You know, me having my seven-year-old now, you know, I look at my childhood differently now. I don't say, you know what, I'm really upset about my to my parents. I'm, I'm upset about my teachers. I say, you know what, I reframed the experience and I created a really incredible childhood. And I did that during my adult years. And that's called reframing an NLP. So um, I started to pinpoint the aspects that were good instead of bad. And then I started to understand that my parents were doing the best they could with the information that they had. You know, I couldn't be mad at them because their parents were teaching them that sort of stuff. So, you know, I came from a deeper understanding, but it, it was quite late. It was kind of in my mid thirties. And I wish I would have just taken some deeper steps rather than searching for band-aids during my twenties. Yeah, that's interesting that you say that because, you know, it resonates so much with me when I was growing up, there was a lot of pressure for me to, uh, you know, be a certain way to go through school a certain way to achieve high marks. You know, my, my parents always put a lot of pressure on me to, you know, go into engineering. And it's something that I didn't necessarily want. But that pressure drove me crazy to the point where I mean, I ended up dropping out and, you know, created a bunch of debt because of it, this and that. But uh, that resonates so much with me. Mm hmm. Yeah. And I really like what you said about um, the reframing the beliefs mm -hmm. of of how your parents actually did the best that they could. You know, I've mm -hmm. gone through a lot of that, too. It's I call it almost as well as like reparenting my inner child. So mm -hmm. reframing and and also looking at the positive and being grateful for all that and what they did do and knowing that, you know, they did the best that they could do. They loved me so much. And, you know, they're not perfect. They're humans too. And a lot of what they've done is this blueprint that they were handed from their parents and their parents got it from grandparents and so, so on. So, yeah. <laughs> what it is because, you know, so many people with anxiety today are living with regret or fear or um, humiliation based around what happened to them in the first couple instances, maybe as a child or when they're in the teens or in their twenties and that kind of a lot of people never really come to the realization that, you know, a, a, a their history can be changed as long as they use certain skill sets, as long as they go a little bit deeper and understand that their memories are just an interpretation of what really happened. So if the memories when we revisit those memories consistently, depending on our current emotional state, we look at the memory slightly different. So if we can, you know, automatically see those memories changing, why don't we just go in, 
and reframe those experiences a little bit. And therefore, what are we all searching for? We're all searching for better feelings. You know, we don't go and buy that car because it's shiny or, you know, whatever it is, you know, those nice shoes or whatever it is. We all search for a feeling that's attached to that thing. Um, and that's kind of what we're all searching for. But what you said was absolutely perfect. I mean, if you can understand this, this is a this is a game changer, right? Yeah, for sure. I definitely you you learn to experience more joy. <laughs> it's it's like uh it's almost like an instant kind of switch in the brain once you kind of get it. And so I'm curious to know more about your NLP because I've never done that. And so I don't actually know very much. And so for our audience members who are like myself, can you explain like what that process is on a little bit more detail? NLP um, is, is labeled neuro-linguistic programming, which touches on the nervous system, which touches on the type of language and how we communicate with people. And it's not just words, it's tones of voices, it's body language and all that sort of stuff. And then programming is just basically the conditioning process. So with NLP, you know, a big part of NLP is what's called modeling. Um, when you talk to people in the beginning stages of NLP, they'll ask you a couple of things. They'll say, you know, what do you want in your life? Okay, well, I want, I want to feel better. I want to be more confident. I want to uh, do this and that in my life. Okay, well, do you know somebody in your life or an influencer that you're following that you know, has those attributes, that has those skills, um, has those traits. And you begin to dive a little bit deeper and say, yeah, you know, my grandpa, you know, he was an incredibly confident, empowered person. He reached for his goals and his dreams in his life. And he he didn't allow fear or challenges to get in the way. He moved past everything. Great. Well, here's the process on where we can start with NLP. We can start with understanding the internal as far as how your grandpa might act in certain situations. So how would your grandpa go about um, certain thought patterns that continue to play out? Well, you know what? He would understand the idea behind cognitive fusion. Cognitive fusion is the idea where you take a thought at face value without really diving deeper and saying a thought is just a thought. So yeah, my grandpa does that. He doesn't allow a thought to get to him. Right. I mean, that in itself is a huge realization. The idea that a thought is something I don't have to get emotionally attached to. And then how does your grandpa when he's faced with an emotional, practical problem? Well, you know what? He is able to in that moment think himself consciously through that problem and therefore head into a different direction instead of getting caught up in it, having anxiety, stress, worrying about something he can cognitively think his way through those things consciously and head in a different direction. So NLP is the is basically the structure of thinking, behaving, uh, the words you express to people, the body language that you show. And NLP, you know, is is a very um, subconscious methodology where it doesn't just say, hey, change your thoughts. It says, you know what? What's going on in your subconscious mind, in your storage system? What is stored here? Because, you know, there's two sets of beliefs that we have. One set of beliefs that we're aware of and another set of beliefs that we're unaware of. And the beliefs that we're unaware of are running the show. But a lot of people don't want to go there, right? 
things that happened in the past, things that say you'll never do this or, you know, that's not part of your self-image or whatever it may be. And those are your your core beliefs. So NLP is modeling. NLP is understanding the internal processes of the people that you want to become, but also the external, right? How are they moving, their hand gestures, their body language, tones of voice. So modeling is a very big part of NLP. Um, and, and just really tapping into the subconscious mind and changing things at a deeper level. It's very different than CBT, actually. Hmm. So, and CBT, can you explain a little bit on that? Like I, to be honest, I know nothing about it. <laughs> you know what, this is great stuff for anybody listening that's going through anxiety because now you've got some things that are not Band-Aids. These are things that are actually going to make a difference in the long term. And yes, it may be painful in the first couple of weeks because of how foreign these methods are to people. Mm. But CBT is, is basically called cognitive behavioral therapy. And cognitive means thinking, behavioral means behaving, therapy means the conditioning process. So it's the ability to change your thought patterns and restructure your thought patterns. So, you know, a big part about CBT is creating doubt when somebody thinks about something. Mm -hmm. um, for example, you know, someone has health anxiety, I, um, hypochondria, and they're scared that a certain sensation might mean a disease or a physical ailment. I might have a tumor or cancer or whatever it is. Well, the process with CBT, just one of the, you know, the techniques or the skill sets is you've got to create doubt based around that thought that continues to play out. So the reflexive thought, Something that plays out all the time. Oh, my God, I got this feeling and we attach it to something. What could it be? So we would create doubt within that person based around questions. Well, has anybody else in your family ever gotten a tumor from that shoulder injury? Well, no. Um, has anybody fainted from um, feeling dizzy and overly sensitized when a certain practical problem arises? No. Okay, I'm understanding that what I'm thinking about doesn't you know, serve me well, number one, and isn't going to lead to the, the outcome that I think it's going to lead to. So very in-depth as far as the thoughts, it's the thoughts, it's the thoughts, mm -hmm. but then it's the behaviors. It's, it's the idea where you take someone who's avoiding something and you put them in certain situations that causes a bit of discomfort, like jumping in a cold lake of water, but doing it in a systematic way. Someone who's afraid of the shopping mall because they're overly sensitized, too many people, you know, CBT will say, hey, go to that shopping mall. But before you go in, just stand outside for a couple of minutes and then take a step inside the mall and just look around for a bit and then just visit the food court that's a few meters away and then call someone, bring them with you so you can walk in five minutes. So it's a systematic approach to changing behaviors. Mm -hmm. But again, lots of similarities but different. Mm -hmm. Yeah, they both sound like they really help somebody embody the new traits of of who they want to be more like or what they want to shift out. They they replace it with what they want. Now, I've got a, I've got a question because uh, I, I can see some people asking, well, yes, but it's it's a physical thing. You know, it's a chemical imbalance in my brain that's causing this and I need some kind of Prozac or some kind of antidepressant to, to treat this? Like, what would you say to people who think that, you know, it's just like a physical reaction that your 
brain produces different chemicals? You know, that's that's a really, really difficult topic today in today's world, because I work with a lot of people um, online that come up with these types of beliefs based around their authority figures and what they told them. Mm -hmm. Now, doctors are fantastic. You know, psychologists are fantastic. Counselors are fantastic. But there's a ceiling there. There's a ceiling as far as how far you can go. Um, In my opinion, you know, there is there's a time and place for antidepressants. I was on them. Uh, benzodiazepines, they are fantastic for people, but they are not the only way. Um, and people are starting to understand this now. I feel like there's a change, a shift happening where people are saying, well, wow, you know, I applied some CBT and NLP and I felt better. Hmm, you know, maybe there's uh, something there. But the whole idea that if you get stuck on an, an on a belief or an idea and it's not helping you move forward, then you've got to question those ideas, you know, because mm-hmm. you've got to create some self-awareness within you and say, you know what, I believe this, this and this and my life has sucked for the last five to 10 years. I'm suffering. Well, guess what? Maybe what I've been believing isn't true after all. I mean, that's a tough place to go, though, because, I mean, I'm someone will say I'm 50 years old. I've been believing this forever. And, I'm, well, how has your life gone? Yeah. Well, yeah, for, for 30 years. Well, that tells you something. So if something isn't helping you, learn to change it. Right. And you can because our brains are very neuroplastic. We're very open to new things. But you'll hear things such as you can't teach an old dog new tricks. Or anxiety, oh, your dad had anxiety, oh, guess what, you're going to have it forever. You know, that sort of stuff. And that gets programmed in there until somebody comes around, says something different, goes through an experience similar to that person, believes different things, and shows them that change is possible, which is what you're doing and what I'm doing. So, you know, but this voice isn't loud, right? What's loud? What's loud today is fear. Drama, reality TV shows, suicidals, antidepressants, this sort of stuff, right? So it's the first thing we wake up to and the last thing we go to bed to. Yeah, that, that's something that we've talked about on this show before as well is, you know, what are you putting into your awareness, right? And we're just so inundated with these messages of fear and hate and all these things that you mentioned that it's, uh, it's hard to avoid those things. Huge. And that's, you know, that's a big part of why we uh, came to Bali, because seven years ago, we came over here and we said, whoa, there's a different way to live life. This is crazy, right? So it's like, you know, back in the Western world, everything is like a rat race. You know, you wake up in the morning, you go to work and your boss yells at you and you hate yourself and you go home and you kick the dog and you go watch TV and fill yourself with stimulation. You go to bed, do it again, right? We came here and said, Whoa, things are slow. These people are making like, you know, 30 cents a day and they're happier than anybody in the world. There's stuff we don't know. Yeah. And I said, what's going on here? And this is stuff I never experienced before. (laughs) But changing your environment, you know, can really give you some new perspective. You can go, whoa, you know what? And it changes everything. So, yeah, absolutely. Mm -hmm. Yeah. One thing we noticed about coming here was the community aspect everybody's out and and their life is more important than their job it's it's like just completely opposite like no one here asks you what you do they ask you like what do you love to do what are your hobbies 
you know? <laughs> yeah, we didn't know how to answer that question for like the first six months. Like, uh, I'm not sure. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. I mean, in the Western world, when you ask someone something, they say, you know, I ask you, what are, what do you do or who are you? So I, I am an accountant or I am, you know, I am this, I am that. And the I am part of that becomes your identity. That's an identity statement. So anything that you say I am and you attach yourself to and create an identity around such as anxiety is very, very difficult to, you know, to put aside and to to replace. Mm -hmm. That's why a lot of anxiety is I am. When you talk to someone, I am anxiety, I am anxious, you know, I have this, you're, you're basically owning anxiety. Whereas in my recovery, I had to distinguish between the I am and I am doing, I'm doing anxious things. I'm thinking anxiously, but I'm, I am not anxiety. Mm -hmm. It's a huge, huge, two different worlds, right? And when you start to say to yourself and your listeners start to say to themselves that I'm thinking anxiously, I'm behaving anxiously, I've got anxious habits, but I am not this image. I am not this persona. I'm not this identity. When you change things at an identity level rather than the band-aids, you know, such as some of the fidget things that you buy at the store or, um, you know, other things that are band-aids such as, you know, I'm not a fan of certain support groups. You'll hear me say that in the podcast, certain support groups that feed the anxiety cycle, um, asking for reassurance from people, which temporarily makes you feel better. But your identity is still based around I am. I am anxiety disorder, right? Yeah. But when, when you separate I am and say I'm doing, your whole world, you'll start to go, you know what? I can actually see a bit of light at the end of the tunnel. And that's the beginning stages. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I love, I love that. I love how you're talking about like you're doing anxiety instead of being. Um, one of my teachers used that as well and would say like, well, I'm experiencing sadness or I'm experiencing this, but my being is totally separate from that. And it's such, um, it's interesting to, to think about it from like the ego perspective and how we attach ourselves to all these different identities. And one of the things that you were talking about in one of your podcasts, and you were saying how, you know, if you really want to get rid of anxiety or make a change somewhere in your life, you actually have to be okay with that change. So you actually have to be okay with shedding that identity, that piece of yourself. It's not it's not going to necessarily be easy because, you know, if you've been doing something for 30 years and you are X, Y, Z, whatever you, you identify yourself with to let go of that, to let go of the things that go along with that. Like, I think in your podcast, you had mentioned it was friends, you know, to shed friends. It's, it's kind of a scary thing. Like you kind of where it's unknown. Totally. I mean, yeah. you, you see with a lot, I mean, with me, with anxiety, you know, I, there was a part of me that said, Dennis, you know what, you've got a very successful career. Dennis, you know what? Your wife loves you and, and you just created a kid. You brought someone to this world all during the times of your anxiety disorder. So in NLP, there's something called associations or pairings. The anxiety in your unconscious mind created the success. So how can I possibly get rid of the anxiety unconsciously and therefore get rid of my success? And maybe my wife won't, won't love me and my kid won't love me. I won't, you know, do and, and be the person that I am. A lot of people have this attachment, this unconscious attachment to anxiety that they need to dive deep into and say, you know what? 
My success wasn't built because I was a hardcore warrior. That was completely different. If I didn't worry all those times, I probably would have been higher up the, the corporate ladder or you know, I would have enjoyed life fully or whatever they want to achieve. So the worry isn't the, the thing that brought you to where you are. That's something really important, that attachment. Mm-hmm. And the other thing is that you mentioned it. You said, friends, if I overcome anxiety and stop talking and being anxious and nervous and worrying, that's part of my identity. That's like I'm part of a clan here with my friends and my family. Yeah. You know, that's a part of my everyday routine to talk about this stuff because it gives me a certain safety blanket. It says, you know what, the more I worry, the safer I am and the more I'm loved and all that sort of stuff. But you said it, you got to detach from that stuff and you've got to ask yourself the question of what am I willing to let go of right now that's temporarily painful, temporarily painful in order to get to where I want to go? Because you're going to have to give up a lot of things if you want to overcome your anxiety at a, you know, at a moderate to severe level, because it's very unconscious. Mm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, you know, those that like ego attachment to that thing, I mean, I've, I've noticed, you know, I don't uh, deal with anxiety like I used to. I mean, occasionally it, I, I feel a little bit, but I feel it's more of like a, a mental thing. Like my mind is telling me, it's like, I should feel anxious right now. You know, like something is going on and I should feel anxious, but I don't. But yet there's like a, a small part of me that still wants to go there. It's really strange. <laughs> very, very common, very common. But the beauty is that you, Lord, have you created self-control. You've created self-mastery within you. And you can notice some of those patterns. You can say, you know what? Thoughts, words, actions, and imagination my thoughts, when I have a certain thought that I know is going to lead towards anxiety, I catch myself in that moment and I begin to head into a different direction. Words, when I'm expressing myself in a way where I know it's self-defeating, it's self-sabotaging and I'm playing the victim, I can catch myself in those words and, and quickly start to change those. Behaviors, if I'm avoiding something, I know I've got to confront something. If I'm behaving in a way where it's not serving me, you have created self-mastery and self-control. And you can say, you know what? No, this is how I have to behave. Mm -hmm. And imagination, Mm -hmm. you know, the imagination is something that is the most powerful and the quickest way to change a person's emotional state. If you can gain control of your imagination and begin seeing your mental movies in the morning. I do this every single day when I wake up. I say, you know what? Two to five minutes where I close my eyes, and all I'm going to do is picture every single moment that's going to happen in that day and exactly how empowered I'm going to feel, what I'm going to say, how I'm going to act in every one of those moments throughout the day. And I run my mental movie from the morning until you know my head hits the pillow at night. And I do that every single day. And that's a that's a form of priming for me to get get ready for the day. So I've taken control of my imagination rather than having my imagination control me and anticipate things and all that sort of stuff. So that whole idea of self-control is absolutely crucial. But people need to understand that this can be learned. This can be trained. This can be conditioned in you. This isn't something that happens overnight. Mm. This happens through a certain plan. This happens through, you know, repetition. This happens through a certain relentlessness because in the beginning of my anxiety journey, and this is really important for your, for your listeners, 
I didn't believe that I could change. I didn't believe that things were going to change within me. But I developed certain disciplines and determination within me growing up as a kid, and I tapped into that. So I became relentless. I said, I've got to monitor my feelings because feelings are everything. If my feelings are dropping below a neutral level and I'm not feeling positive and I'm getting really negative or irrational, that's a warning signal for me that something's out of, you know, out of loop. I'm out of touch with something. So the feelings are a warning sign for people. They are not the very thing that you need to follow. They're just a sign that something is not aligned or you're not paying attention to something. Mm -hmm. But you don't have to believe in that you're going to change. You have to be relentless. That's the key. And that's why I tell everybody three months, three months, give yourself three months, start somewhere and then come up with a contract, put that contract up on your wall and now sign that contract. Let your wife sign it. Let your kids sign it. Let your, you, you know, your, your, your favorite people sign it because when you're letting yourself down, you're also letting those people down. So it has to start with a three month contract and you don't have to believe in change, but you do have to stick to a program and in three months time, self-control and self-mastery. Yeah. It's like at the end of the day, I mean, what do you have to lose, right? Mm-hmm. If nothing changes, well, nothing changes and you just go all, go back to living the same way you, you always have. But if it works, imagine life without it. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. So, um, I just lost my train of thought. <laughs> I did have a question. Yeah, go ahead. <laughs> just with, uh, with regards to emotions, you know, we live in a, a society where we're just, we're so numb, right? There's distractions everywhere. Our phone's dinging or, you know, we're constantly like scrolling our Facebook feeds or, or, or whatever. And whenever, this was certainly my reaction, whenever I felt anxiety or any kind of depression, my first thought was run from this, put on the TV, put on some music, you know, just, just numb it as much as I can. And it wasn't until I read a book by um, Michael Brown, it was uh, the presence process. And it was this process that he teaches about actually digesting your emotions. So you actually go into meditation and you make yourself feel that negative emotion. It sucks, but man, like you gain such a different perspective that all of a sudden your emotions don't control you. Huge. You know, I'm glad you tapped, uh, tapped into meditation because it is such a massive, massive piece of the puzzle. You know, in my days, I, uh, the pairing between me and meditation was that I can't meditate because for God's sakes, I can't even be calm for a minute or two here. Uh, my fight or flight response is so excessive and my amygdala is functioning at such a high level that how am I going to meditate? But again, it's you being able to step into a cold, you know, cold lake of water and then getting your knees there, then your waist then your chest. The next thing you know, you're swimming in that cold lake and it's becoming warm for you. So in NLP, we call it mapping. And a lot of people have this this, you know, this emotional attachment to their identity and their anxiety and their stress and their panic and they're always worrying And what we say, and and mapping, meditation, very similar, slightly different, but sitting with yourself, you know, closing your eyes and just coming from a place of observing like you guys are masters at, you know, observing the ebb and flow of those feelings, observing the thoughts come and go like clouds, you know, observing those certain sensations, 
observing what happened throughout the day, but not ever attaching yourself to any one of those things. You start to find that there's a certain lightness that comes over you, a certain, you know, a feeling of, wow, you know, just because I feel something or think something or behave this way in my past or someone said something doesn't mean that that has to be my reality. Meditation teaches you that. It teaches you the idea to become open-minded, and most importantly, the word is flexibility. You gain flexibility in the way you think. Now, all of a sudden, when you walk into a room full of people, you are the one that has the most uh, flexibility in the way you think and act and react to people, which means that you hold the most power in the room. Other people are thinking very, very narrow-minded, And they're saying things have to be this way. Everything is black and white. Everything is either good and bad. No, there are many, many things that can happen in this moment, my friends. Right. So meditation is something that, you know, is huge for me in my everyday life. And and I'm so, so, you know, happy to be able to connect to you guys that are so, you know, coming from that level and teaching people this because I can't see anything that's more important than it. Mm-hmm. You know, we, I agree. we can we can change our thoughts all day. We can get all the counseling we want. We can you know, we can engage in NLP, which is fantastic. But the ability for you to sit with yourself and just not even react, not analyze, but just observe is huge because you never attach yourself to any one thing anymore. Right. Yeah. But absolutely mapping an NLP and um, and meditation and many forms of it, like you guys know, is absolutely crucial, crucial, crucial. And starting with one minute, you know, two times a day, two minutes and so on and working your, your way up to that 10, 15, 20, 30 minutes, you know, two hours kind of thing is, again, what, what's the main thing you're getting out of this self-control? self-mastery, right? You're not being dictated by media, what people say, your past, you know, your authority figures, these things anymore. You're coming from a place of deep understanding, but guess what? Not many people have that today. Oh yeah. They're caught race, you know? Oh, did you watch CNN today? You know, did you watch that reality show? Guess what? As much as it is entertaining, it's causing you further stimulation. It's causing you to be in a constant fight or flight mode. And then you're wondering where my anxiety is coming from. Well, guess what? Check your habits, yeah. right? Check the patterns that you're running. But meditation. Phew, yeah. Number one. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So important. Totally agree. Totally agree. Um, one of the things that I like to say is like, you know, a lot of the time in my past life, I was like, why is this happening to me? I would always ask, why is this happening to me? So maybe when you have anxiety, people are are saying, you know, why, why am I having this experience? Like, why am I, why is this happening to me? And instead of reframing as to, you know, why, how is this happening for me? So my question is like, how do you now see anxiety as, as it served you in your spiritual growth and, and who you are today. So those people who are watching who, you know, are in that state of like anxiety and, and owning that anxiety as if it's theirs to like, wait a second, this is actually perhaps, you know, there's some great lessons in this for me. So what, how can it serve me? Yeah. Yeah. How do you think if you could talk about that, <laughs> share your experience and huge, huge learning opportunity because I always tell people, I say, you know what, 
an anxiety disorder was the worst and best thing that's ever happened to me in my life. You know, I never chose to be an NLP CBT practitioner or a life coach. I never did. I never chose this. It chose me. You know, you get to a point where the lessons that you gain through anxiety and people don't realize that when we go through anxiety, there are many unconscious things that we're learning. You know, people are fighting things on a daily basis. The, the, the determination, the discipline, the stubbornness. You know, there are many different traits that you're gaining through anxiety and you can use those for you later on in life. And I tell a lot of people, I say, once you've overcome generalized anxiety, hypochondria, panic, whatever it may be, there really is nothing else in this world that can stop you. There really isn't because the biggest battle in this life that we're living is the battle that we're creating within ourselves. It's not the battle to climb the corporate ladder or to find the wife or to have kids or to earn a living. You change your internal processes and your external world starts to change. But what do a lot of people try to do? They try to change the external without altering their core beliefs, without changing the way they view their past, without shifting how their body looks and their posture, their breathing and how fast they go, their speed throughout the day. These are all elements of Mm self-control. But it's a huge, huge learning opportunity to say, you know what, what is anxiety teaching me? Because there is either something that you haven't accepted yet or there's something that you haven't confronted, expressed. Okay, you haven't expressed yet with anxiety, I really never expressed to my dad who also had anxiety and beat me as a child emotionally, physically. I I was never able to tell him what I wanted to tell him. And now, you know, he passed away, whatever it may be. Everybody's got a different story. And now this is living within me forever. Well, guess what? If you can't physically be with your dad and tell him that and change and edit the movie, go back in time edit the movie, tell him what you want to tell him in your mind in a five-minute reunion, get emotionally attached in that conversation because what did we say? When you create changes in your imagination, that's basically the password to your subconscious mind. Mm -hmm. You're tapping into the password of your subconscious mind. So if you want change to happen, recognize the patterns. What's causing you to feel the way you're feeling and go in and learn how to change them. Don't get caught up in motivation. Don't get caught up in willpower and say, today's the day I don't have anxiety. I'm going to fight it with everything. No, that doesn't work. That doesn't work for anybody, right? You have to come up with some real deep, awesome habits, some strategies. You have to be aware of those habits. You have to do them on a daily basis. You have to recognize your impulses and your emotions. You have to have physiological control through your body. There are many elements, but start with some self-awareness, right? But again, anxiety could be the greatest thing you ever had, okay, after you've learned the lesson, you've progressed past it and started applying those traits, those lessons into other areas of your life. Yeah, something that we've uh, talked about on the show before is like, if, if you believe in the law of attraction or that, you know, we create our, our reality to our thoughts, uh, that this is essentially a way that the universe is giving you opportunities to revisit a particular situation. Because, you know, going back in my life, in my story, I noticed that I would find myself in very similar situations repeatedly. And I would have the same reaction. I would 
you know, either lose it or I'd have anxiety or some kind of fear around it. And then, you know, I would forget about it until the next time it would happen. And I feel like it's like the universe telling you, it's like, hey, look, look at this right here. Like I'm bringing you another opportunity to deal with this issue. Cause if you don't deal with it again, we'll be back in like a year or two or whenever. Brilliant. And anxiety, I, I feel can be, uh, can be one of these like little reminders, like go in, go inside, heal that, whatever's causing that you got to go in. Exactly. Exactly. I mean, I tell a lot of people, uh, there's a certain saying that I have in the podcast and that is that every anxious moment is an opportunity to practice a new method. Mm. Every anxious mm-hmm. moment that you're faced with is a challenge. Like you mentioned is a challenge is an opportunity for you to recondition a new pattern is to see things in a different light is to behave differently, whatever that change has to be. But begin understanding that a change is possible through people that have in fact created that change and then beginning to create that self-awareness. But exactly. I mean, God, you know, your God, the universe, energy, whatever it is that you believe in is is getting you to face these challenges, mainly the internal challenges right now to say, you know what? There's a lesson that you need to learn. And until you learn this lesson and until you prove to me that you've learned this lesson and you've become the type of person that you need to be in order for this change to happen, the external world is not going to change. You have to become the type of person um, that that change can happen to. Mm -hmm. Okay, so begin becoming that person. Right. See it from another point of view and. You know, and that's huge what you said there, because when you know that you're being guided in some way, there is a different type of uh, a protective feeling that you have. You're saying, you know what, I have a challenge and that's okay. I have anxiety and that's okay. You know, and that's the, the dot by dot, you know, connecting the dots until you created this picture that you want to live in. That's the process. But I love how you picked on that. That's brilliant. Mm mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it, it's it's quite a process, this thing we call life. <laughs> but it, it is such an internal one. It yeah. is such an internal one. Yeah, there's that saying, your outer world is a reflection of your inner world. And it's so true. Yeah, yeah I've Perfect. definitely seen it. <laughs> so, yeah. so Dennis, if um, our audience wanted to uh, find you, uh, you know, they're dealing with anxiety, they, they need a little bit of help, because I'll be the first to admit, if I find, found you years ago, I mean, I would have jumped at the opportunity to work with someone because I had no idea, I had no direction, right? So how do people find you and connect with you? You know, that's, that's true. It's really difficult to find long lasting, um, you know, people out there, good information. There's a lot of information out there, but a lot of it's band-aids. People have to be aware of what's what. So um, anxietyexit.com is my website. They can go on there. They can pick up the free ebook there that outlines the beginning of my anxiety, the midpoint and the end, which is life after anxiety. Um, and, and that's just a great starting point to understand and say, you know what, this is possible. I can change things. It doesn't matter if I'm 20 or if I'm 80, it doesn't matter. You know, if I want things to change, then I'm going to have to take some form of stance, a different kind of stance here and start questioning some of my belief systems, start questioning some of my past, because until you start questioning your beliefs and whether they hold any kind of truth within them and what they're causing you to react like in your life, things don't change. So again, self-awareness, but anxietyexit.com, 
you know, that website is fantastic. Lots of blog posts. My podcast is there. They can go there, you know, and understand that people are more than anxiety. Yeah, beautiful. And if you wanted to work with you one-on-one, they can do that as well. All the information is on your site. Yeah, Exactly. One-on-ones are there as well. Absolutely. Thank you so much for coming on our podcast today. It's been really great chatting with you and, and understanding more about your process and what you have to offer to the world. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you guys so much. You guys are doing an amazing job. I've been able to look into it. And you know what? We need more people like yourselves that Thank are spreading you. the, the proper message out there. So <laughs> I'm honored. I'm absolutely honored. And I'd love to you know be in touch with you guys. Yeah, that would be great. Yeah, absolutely, Dennis. We'll, we'll definitely yeah, be in touch. And uh, thank you again. And uh, till next time. Thank you for listening to the Spirit Ninja Spiritualist Podcast. Make sure to tune in next time for more deep conversations to uplift, inspire, and blow your mind. Spiritualist.